Welcome all once again. This is your host, Soli. Once again, I'm doing a single part episode, just covering two very respected producers, but it's just me in the studio tonight. I can't expect to have a guest every time, but hopefully I'm charming enough to your ears. You can afford to listen to this. So we're going to jump right into two very inspiring, very influential uh, duos in writing, and that is, once again, it is Stephen Bochco and David Milch, both very influential in terms of primetime TV, as well as groundbreaking cable material, let alone just changing how just fast-paced and edgy and uh, charming television became. So, yeah, we are... I'm going to start with Mr. Bochco. You might know him for, once again, uh, being a part-time writer on uh, just sleeper movies like the crime drama from 68 called The Counterfeit Killer, which starred a post-Hawaii Five O, Jack Lord, as well as the cult sci-fi film Silent Running. Yes, right. He was the mind behind that. And from there on... He was just a story editor, co-creator, or just staff writer from everything from the name of the game to the bold ones to the invisible man. That's right, the original 75 one, the Gemini man, Macmillan and wife, and Columbo. The show went on so long that even episodes that he had previously written for but hadn't, you know, been filmed yet until it, you know continued in the 90s and it's also written plenty of other cult tv movies like operating room and 1979's vampire wrote a single episode for the 80s twilight zone and uh, wrote for the james earl jones uh, uh, private eye show paris as well as hopper man which starred john ritter and uh, from that point on he then co-created Hill Street Blues, and that's when he changed the whole procedural. Everyone wanted him to make all these giant, you know, legal and, uh, you know, good cop, bad cop dramas. And you can still watch that show pretty well nowadays. It is on Hulu, and it's basically Serpico, the TV show. If you haven't seen it, you're basically watching it now if you've seen something like The Shield or Chicago PD. But they're all special in their own right, but that was the one that cut the ball running, showing realistic police chases, adultery, you know, otherwise good people making awful mistakes, you know, like accepting bribes or realizing that they can't trust their SWAT unit. Uh, police lieutenants having to realize that they got to up the bar in terms of expectations and reframing their whole police district. So, yeah, from that point on, he then, uh, you know, did the musical, the infamous musical, if you will, <laughs> that was both a musical and a cop show known as Cop Rock. And, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It sounds good on paper, but it is a piece of shit. Oh, my God. How did that make it to air? <laughs> it's interesting. I'll give it that, but that's about as close as I'm going to go. From that point on, he then, uh, you know, uh, just kept changing uh, the whole game. My folks were very much into L.A. law, and that is where he prospered. He changed 
uh, everything from office politics to uh, inappropriate workplace behavior to uh, just, again, just changing the whole force style of what it even means to be some kind of self-practicing lawyer and just made total superstars of everyone from Blair Underwood and Jimmy Smiths to Larry Drake and Susan Day to Alan Rochkins and Corbin Burnson and Jill Eikenberry and Richard Dysart. Look those guys up. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Other people who are just underappreciated that were involved with the show include Sheila Kelly, John Spencer, and Harry Hamlin, and Alan Rosenberg. There's just so many people on there who are just like, man, and just dynamite and still pretty underloved. Like, despite re airing its indication on AD, it hasn't really been shown as much since. And not all the seasons are on DVD, but check it out on Daily Motion YouTube. You'll be pretty impressed by it still. There's just enough sharp writing. For that, he mentored head writer David E. Kelly, who, as you all probably know, went on to be another superstar producer. Uh, on stuff such as The Practice and its spinoffs, Sally McBill and Boston Legal, as well as Chicago Hope and the recent Lincoln Lawyer Show. And just, uh, they reteamed again uh, to create Doogie Hauser together before both exiting stage right. Mainly throughout the 90s, though, what is truly uh, just associated when you hear Bochco's name is NYPD Blue. He created that with Hill Street blues producer david milch who we'll get to in a minute here and that's where he was just like hey we got to make an edgy show cable tv is becoming a thing this is my deal i want to show what it means to showcase the stress uh the nausea the again just gritty uh you know politics but i want to go beyond hill street blues i want to show what the New York police are like so yeah he created NYPD Blue and it really still is a kick-ass show I have not a problem with any single season it really does not fall apart unlike what most people will tell you and you know it had a spinoff called Brooklyn South and he even in many ways even brought a few minor characters from a few sitcoms he did like Public Morals which was basically his version of Barney Miller and uh uh, street punk from those street clothes onto there so he created his own universe in addition to that um he just always oversaw a bunch of other people who he constantly worked with including william and finkelstein and michael m robin finkelstein is still strongly working he's worked on a bunch of other dick wolf type shows as well as the current cbs hit uh east new york Michael and Robin, if that sounds familiar, he formed his own network once again with Greer Shepard. He noted strongly about Botchko how Botchko just encouraged him to be his own deal, be his own independent thing, and even go for it because he knew how hard it was to strive to be a TV producer and offered him to come back if it didn't work out. Fortunately, Robin did have a pretty huge career and went on to craft blockbuster tv shows on cable tv such as uh the closer and its spinoff major crimes the rehash of dallas nip tuck and also is currently working on east new york and once again uh, i mentioned dick wolf dick wolf noted that he and bochco were actually childhood best friends and 
Bosco gave him his first shot being a story editor on the final season of Hill Street Blues. He noted how Bochco at that time was getting fired due to creative differences or something to that extent, and how he could be prickly, but he was a very organized, very otherwise charming man. Other people who have cited uh, Bochco as an influence is Incredible Hulk and V creator Kenneth Johnson, who noted how who Bochco encouraged is like, hey, stick with TV. Movies won't always work out, so you might as well be in TV where you get a little creative control. And Johnson was interviewed about that recently on Memories of a Blackbird podcast. I totally recommend that episode. In addition to that, uh, Milch, who we'll get to again, I swear. <laughs> uh, and Bochco just kept continuing a few shows. They did a OJ Simpson inspired. Uh, it wasn't based on that. It was just inspired by reasonable doubt and the unusualness of legal trials with Murder One, which ran for two successful years. You can get that on Amazon Prime. That's an interesting one. In addition to that, he created his own hospital show, City of Angels, starring LA Law star Blair Underwood, as well as Philly, starring NYPD Blue star Kim Delaney. Uh, both highly recommended. You can probably find some episodes on YouTube there. Um, in addition to that, he kind of just kept developing stuff with Touchstone Television, ABC. He developed Blind Justice, which also, you know, with NYPD Blue head writer Matt Olmstead, who went on to write, craft some of the best episodes of Chicago PD. And that's an interesting one. It's a single season show, but again, you can find all the episodes on YouTube. It just crackles. He just always knows how to make very charming characters. He's been doing this so long, and even when it seems like a cop copy and paste, he just knows how to make it somewhat different enough. Uh, he then did the very well done um, uh, single season over there, which was one of the first shows to tackle the Iraq war. And even when it got soapy and a little predictable, it's just always reeled it in with just its brutality and just well-acted uh, ensemble. That aired on FX Cable Network when they were trying to find something as edgy as Nip Talk in the Shield, and that was one of the next ones on the block, along with Rescue Me. I remember seeing those premiere that year, and I was like, man, this channel is going to town. Botchko later took over Rod Lurie's Commander-in-Chief, which was a pretty cool West Wing-type uh, show featuring uh, Gina Davis as a Madam President, and just showing, once again, just... Uh, another political twisted tell, and unfortunately lasted only a season, but did way better on DVD from what I've seen. He then did Raising the Bar, which I actually got into about three years ago. It was an interesting uh, TNT cable TV show that, again, you know, I just could have been bigger, but it was interesting how he took his NYPD Blue star, uh, Mark Paul Gossler, who's best known for playing uh, Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell, as well as plenty of other sitcom and serious actors. And he enlisted, uh, once again, a former lawyer turned screenwriter, David Feig, to take some of his real life cases and make them into a somewhat plausible uh, comedy drama. He then finally crafted, before passing away from leukemia and cancer difficulties, uh, Murder in the First, which was a very cool comeback role for Ty Diggs and once again it's that one just I don't like as much as the other ones but it had some 
taut moments and once again just very unusual style and just again just other rare unrecognizable performances by various actors and that one was kind of more a little like from a minds but if you had more legal stuff and uh, just mainly just dissected just how uh, just going through a criminal investigation, you have to constantly just restart all over again and uh, how lawyers can muddy the truth even more. But it's interesting how he just stuck to the legal deal, but just kept twisting it around as much as he could to make it seem a little different. And recently there's been a Doogie Howser rehash on Disney Plus. I have not seen it, but I heard it's pretty decent. Uh, all together, I'm just glad that he's just left us with you know this huge television ensemble and launched all these careers and i'm i've heard he's just the nicest was the nicest man ever i know david e kelly has that honor now but i mean <laughs> nicest nicest man i've never heard a single person say that he just was a narcissist or just stuck up prick he always had a sense of humor when la law was uh kind of getting mocked for how sexual it was on SNL. And there was one skit where they said, it was like, why doesn't the entire cast just pose naked? And he just had a fun sense of humor. He's like, okay, you know what? I'll take you up on that challenge. And he had them do that on TV Guide. So it's just funny how he just played around with so many things. He's had a bunch of other shows that have kind of just been seen here and there uh, that didn't quite launch, but we'll get into that here with uh, David Milch. So, uh and mr milch he is once again just big big tv writer guy he wrote a bunch of poetry and fiction for a few different magazines he also was known for his infamous uh, betting on horses and also owning various thoroughbreds and yeah just aside from his business uh he kept his bipolar uh, nature under control he enrolled in yellow law school <laughs> uh he apparently was a real prankster <laughs> he, uh, he was trying to avoid the vietnam war draft and he decided to shoot out a police car siren with a shotgun sounds like our kind of dude um he i uh, just uh was known for just being so outrageous and having just wacky ideas and allegedly just rolling around naked in the money he was making <laughs> Uh, just also frequenting prostitutes. So he he's a colorful dude, but people just love him just because of his of his persona just being very laid back and chill, almost kind of hippie sounding in nature. Like Bochco, he's published some memoirs of the making of his various TV shows and won numerous Emmys and uh, Edgar Awards, as well as the TCA Career Achievement. For those who don't know, that stands for the Television Critics Association. And so let's get to it. Uh, he started out as one of the lead staff writers on Hill Street Blues for Botsko's production company, and they were close there since. They later created the short-lived Bay City Blues, which had an all-star cast and was basically a, a low-cut version of major league but appropriate for tv and unfortunately it only ran for one year but it you know launched a bunch of screenwriters on that including joel Cernow, who you might know as the creator of la femme nikita in 24 uh it just 
it couldn't compete because it was on during CBS's television night movies and ABC's heart to heart hours. But starred Ken Olin, Michael Norrie, Dennis Franz, Bernie Casey, and McKelty Williamson, and just various other uh, beloved character actors. Uh, from that point on, he co-created Capital News, which, which was a look at the Washington, D.C. paper, Washington Capital. And, of course, briefly wrote for L.A. Law and also created the Hill Street Blues short-lived spinoff Beverly Hills Bunch, which followed Dennis Franz, good cop turned anti-hero Norman Bunce, as well as the snitch Sid. So from that point on, though, he was pretty much mainly known for contributing a good chunk of NYPD Blues material as not only co-creator, but just giving all those edgy, just bizarre and morbid and just sometimes darkly humorous episodes, just showing everything from just petty crime to uh, just outrageous rule-breaking to just even just other colorful dialogue and showing just total ironies and Bochco totally encouraged him until he left around, uh, I want to say season five, six. And uh, after then working again on murder one in Brooklyn South, uh, he then created his own ABC procedural called big apple. And you can buy that actually it was on CBS, but either way you can find that on DVD. It's expensive, but it's worth it. It stars Titus Welber, Donnie Wahlberg, Kim Dickens, Jeffrey Pierce, Michael Madsen, and Ed O'Neill, as well as David Straitharn and Glenn Turman. It is a show that just centers on, it's centered on just a bunch of NYPD detectives forced to work with the FBI to take down a giant mobster syndicate. And uh, it just, unfortunately, the way it premiered and was aired, people just found it very confusing. Like they were just oversaturated or just didn't want to follow it at that time, which just sucks because you're looking at all these guys who are just total just pros. And I don't know why it didn't do well, but it's a keeper. It's a pretty solid show. Definitely a must if you're a fan of just atypical plotting as well as other procedurals like Miami Vice and Crime Story. And altogether, uh, he from that point on, he went to HBO and he said, you know what? I want to one up NYPD Blue. I want to do, you guys want something historical? You're doing Rome. I got my own deal. I got my period drama Western based off some real wildlife West, uh, Western names like Senator Hearst, who was the inspiration for Citizen Kane, Wild Bill Hickox, Calamity Jane, and, and just all these other guys uh, uh, off the actual South Dakota town in the 1870s. And lo and behold, I went through it recently. I would always see parts of it growing up, but I was always like, man, this is dense. I got to actually sit down and watch it. And much like in We P Blue, people the right people get it. The ones who are just shocked by anything shouldn't even be watching TV. The ones who actually are watching it, it's not anywhere close to Walking Dead or Game of Thrones type gratuitousness. It's a very well fleshed out story. It's almost anti-Western in a way because even though it's set in the Wild West, it's not about Western tropes. It's all about just much like in my people and just examining just the lack of empathy, the viciousness, and just even just 
uh, the decharacterizations of just numerous people and just how they just treated each other like shit. But it goes beyond that. And Scorsese probably wishes he made a show as kick-ass as Deadwood because Deadwood just stays with you. If you want more on it, you feel free to listen to our episode, but I only have time for so much. So it is a dynamite show. I'm glad I was really pleased with the movie because much like Breaking Bad, it just people wanted more that it ended so abruptly when HBO canceled it. Because much like Oz, it's kind of a sleeper show for the network, but because they had to split the bill with Paramount Television, they they were always finding a reason to have to kill it. And unfortunately they did. And it took a while, but uh, you know, they followed it up and it was just absolute dynamite. You just, you want to even just have, much like Breaking Bad, you kind of want to just have episodes on just to study it. It's just so rich with all kinds of details, all kinds of, once again, just off color characters who just give you an idea as if you were actually in there. And even when they take his creative license versus historical facts, they're very minor compared to, say, you know, any other epic where they're going to have Kevin Costner or Tom Cruise just marching on a horse with a gun into battle. They do the best to just like, hey, even if they didn't exactly do this, let's just say for the sake of argument, they did this and this played out with this scenario. Much like Rome, you're going to love it. And even if you just feel like they're getting a little too cute for their own good, you're just and, and taking total license with the language you know, you still are just invested because it just feels so well-worded with the dialogue. It crackles and you don't ever want to leave it. He then did the short-lived character study, John from Cincinnati, which uh, was just about just a bunch of surfers living together. It starred Rebecca Dinmornay, Brian Holt, and Bruce Greenwood, and unfortunately did not last all that long. But once again, it's often a beloved, you know, canceled too soon show that uh, still, you know, you can find on HBO Max, much like all their hit shows. And once again, after that, he just kind of uh, settled down. He sold a few TV pilots, like, and reality show pilots, and it just didn't work out as much. He then did, uh, went back to square one. What could he relate to the most? And that was Luck, the Justin Hoffman horse racing drama based off some, you know, actual true life stories. And unfortunately, some actual horses died on set and you know animal rights got involved just whoever was running that show just you know flew it into the ground they fucked up big time and i never saw it i did hear some good stuff about it i heard other people uh note that they did not like the characters uh, i do not know yet i'm sure i'll get to it eventually though because and despite the infamous behind the scenes, I did hear that it was one of the better Michael Mann productions and, you know, co-starred actors such as, you know, Justin Hoffman, Dennis Farina, Nick Nolte, and Jill Hennessy. So I'm like, yeah, those four actors alone, I gotta actually check this out at some point. Uh, he then contributed scripts for the third and final season of the anthology show True Detective. I will say this is probably the best season because hot take, I was never into this. The first one had some dynamite acting, but I found the serial killer storyline so forgettable. Who the fuck was that killer? And obviously season two was pretty infamous, just not knowing what direction to go into and just throwing a random car chase and shoot out every three episodes to just generate excitement that went nowhere. It was 
a shit show. And after that, you know, the season three was just an attempt at just restructuring it with Stephen Dorth and Mahersha Ali. And I got to say, their characters were interesting, but again, I just couldn't get into it. I did not like how it was filmed, shot, and organized. But it looks like it is done for now because the creator said it was only good for a one-time anthology thing, and yet it just they kind of just blew their load on it and kind of like the American horror stories, they have an idea, but they don't know how to use it. And unfortunately, again, Milch, once again, the minute you hear him, you're going to think all of Steven Bochco collaborations and, you know, once again, Deadwood and Big Apple, that's really all you need. And again, if you want any more, you can watch Luck or John from Cincinnati. Unfortunately, you know, again, he's suffering from Alzheimer's, had to retire around 2019, but, man what a dynamite man what a dynamite dude and he's apparently living in assisted living and his memoirs have been published called life's work but uh yeah you know he's apparently had a heart condition going way back to the 90s and even suffered an attack when arguing with lead actor david caruso that first season of NYP. so he's been for the ringers but you know still hey he he you know even when he's been working on so many projects that didn't get picked up uh, you know he even tried to adapt the video game heavy rain which makes sense that was a very noirish violent drama um but all together he's just you know he's a dynamite dude he is a dynamite motherfucker he is just always just uh, done his best to just really gel and characterize everything and you know Bosco's left us he's retired but still I mean Dynamite Men uh, with just incredible body of work and I highly recommend everyone check out their work especially if they want to just be inspired because if anything they were just ahead of the time all before this you know taping shows and streaming and even stuff being made for the internet, you know, just they, hey, you know, they earned it as far as I'm concerned. We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. I don't even know where to. Anyways, uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows, saying things like "Give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win." On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world, and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say, breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips. 
great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.